as you know, if you've been listening to this conversation, I try to emphasize over and over again hospitality, how crucial it is to our understanding of each other, of our politics, a depth of care, just giving a damn about the other people in our lives and people who are in our communities and just having a, a politics that is a little bit more sensitive to that. Uh, to, to help me appreciate that and, and to help explain a little bit of, of what, uh, what he's been through, I want to welcome the Digital Campaigns Manager for Immigration at Forward US, Juan Escalante. Juan, thank you so much for spending some time with me at the table. Thank you so much for inviting me. This week we saw the Supreme Court decision which said that basically the, the administration, the Trump administration, can't end DACA the way it did, but left the door open for um, future rescission opportunities. The president has vowed to try again. He's vowed to make this an election issue. Let's start with up until this week, where you've come from, where you've been, and what you've been doing with the deferred action and everything that has happened from the Obama administration through now. <laughs> I thought, I'm th- thankful. Just, you know, a quick, a quick life story, yeah. if you could, please. Well, thankfully, um, you know, I've gotten pretty good at, at summarizing these events um, to make sure that we don't drag on for years and years on end. But, you know, um, a little bit about myself and how I got involved into this work, which people are always puzzled by. I'm not a lawyer uh, by training whatsoever. Uh, I am actually just have a master's degree in, pub- in public administration and policy. Um, but when I was 16 years old, I had already been living in the United States for f- about five years. And it wasn't until I was graduating from high school that um, I got a call from a, from an admissions officer that basically told me that I didn't have a green card. And if I didn't have a green card, then I wasn't going to be able to pay institution, tuition, which prompted a lot of questions and, and, and an eventual uh, very emotional confession from my mother who basically confessed to me that, yeah, our, the immigration lawyer that we had hired uh, at the time had basically uh, taken our money and mishandled our case. And even though that we were under a, a visa that would have allowed us to eventually get a green card and set us on a path towards citizenship. Uh, that was no longer the case that we were kind of out there on our own without anything. And that just didn't never really sat well with me, right? Like my, my parents made all kinds of sacrifices to bring me and my two brothers to the United States. And I knew that I wanted to go into college and uh, that was something that I really wanted to do. And, you know, for, and I'm obviously kind of dating myself here, but this was back, in, we're talking about 2006, right? I was 16 back then. And um, as someone who's older than you, let me just say, how dare you? <laughs> uh, that is, that is, you're just a, a baby. <laughs> I don't know what you're possibly complaining about. I guess about. in the timeline of immigration advocacy years, I, I consider oh, sure, myself yeah. like this Yoda kind of sense because the, the amount of, <laughs> The amount of people that have entered this movement and left and come back in and, and whatnot. And I just I just never left. Right. You know, I started at 16 and I right. became obsessed with the idea that, uh, you know, and, 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 you know, obviously to stay the obvious, what a nerd I was. You know, it's like <laughs> I started digging about like government and policies. Like if we if we start, you know, a campaign and we convince these lawmakers we're going to pass the Dream Act and. 
and it's going to change my life. We're going to pass it, and, this, and, and that's it. And, and, you know, when I started doing this, I very much saw, thought that this was going to be like a stint, right? Like, okay, great. Like, if I, if I work and I bust my, 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 my behind and working on this and, and, and we get this. I mean, this is a podcast one. You can say whatever the hell you want. You know, I mean, it's just, you can say worse well, than behind if, if you feel yeah, the need well, to, you know. The FCC doesn't really control us here. Whatever forward, whatever forward U.S. says, you can say. Let's well, put it that way. You know, I wanted to make sure that the, you know, I put all my instinct behind it. And I wanted to make sure that if I was going to bust my butt on something, that I was going to do it on this. And then once the dream, again, I'm 16 at this at this point with this mindset. It's like if I, if I just take off two years and I pass the Dream Act, can just get on with my life and be a normal person, whatever that means. That means for a sixteen-year-old, um, and I did just that, right? Like in two thousand and seven, a year after the Dream Act got a vote and subsequently a veto threat from the Bush administration. I mean, just think about this: Barack Obama was still not in office, and anyways, uh, that kind of you know took. Uh, Right, he's a senator exactly. at this point. I mean, it's not even, yeah. Exactly. And for, for me, I was like, okay, cool. Like, you know, this was the first try. It kind of felt good to see that, you know, I was able to make something happen in Congress. Let's do it again. And by this point in time, you yeah. know, I had uh, figured out a way uh, back in my home state of Florida to, um, you know, enroll at the local community college. I was doing, um, you know, some some college credits but at the same time working and doing this as a side gig um i say as a side gig because it, there, there was never any money in it I and mean, it wasn't about the money it was basically <laughs> just you know about my life and i think that that's important thing. well and that yeah it's it's so exactly. much more important yeah it's i basically started working on this uh at night you know after work or after school as much as i possibly could um, through the years, you know, we saw a variety of different immigration proposals come and go. You know, we had Barack Obama promising the first 100 days. That never happened in terms of immigration right. policy and his delivery. Um, you know, we saw the Dream Act come back up for a vote after much, much pressure in 2010. And I think the curious thing in there was basically that by that point, you know, four years after I started this, you know, we had advanced the immigration conversation so far amongst the dreamers and you know the youth that people were screaming from their windows and from you know from rooftops essentially i am undocumented and unafraid which for those people yeah. who you know may not be undocumented and unafraid it was basically this big taboo you grow up right like your parents tell you like mijo you can't tell this to anyone because if you tell anyone that like, the bad people are going to come right. from helicopters to send bust on the door and just take you away back to Venezuela. And you're like, oh my God, like really? And that's like, I don't know. Someone told me that, but don't tell anyone that you're undocumented. And, you know, you live with this fear. And we kind of turned that over into our heads, realizing, right, that that was the way that we were oppressed. Because if we did not tell anyone that we were undocumented, we were just blending into the crowd. But if something happened to us, if ICE ever came for us, no one really knew what to do. And we just put that over in its head and said, you know what? We're no longer scared. This is who we are. If you're going to deport us, come at us, Barack Obama or Congress or whoever. And let's get, you know, legislating immediately. We got a bill passed in the House. It failed in the Senate in 2010 by five votes. Five Democrat votes, by the way. Indeed. Yeah. Five Democratic votes uh, killed that bill. And unfortunately, 
uh, it continued to kick the can down the road. Uh, we saw Barack Obama push uh, for DACA in 2012, which kind of brings us to this voyage or journey or saga that we're in right now. Um, obviously, that brought relief to almost a million people. Um, in 2014, uh, you know, Barack Obama tried to expand the DACA program and, the, and create DAPA, uh, which was basically a spinoff of the program that would cover the parents of U.S. citizens and legal permanent residents that never went anywhere uh, due to the judicial system and the courts, uh, and specifically, you know, the state of Texas, because, of course, yeah. Um, led waged this battle against the, the Obama administration about it, and the DAPA program unfortunately never saw the light of day. But, anyways, um, I guess what I'm trying to get at is, is that I've seen a lot of things, and I've been in this game for long enough to be both uh, extremely cynical, but also realistic about you know what the best uh, scenario or foot forth we need to uh, put here uh, in terms of this fight. So. With that being said, you know, uh, the DACA program obviously has brought significant amount of opportunities for a lot of people. It gave me the ability to pursue a master's degree. It gave me the opportunity to uh, turn that unpaid the late night gig that was basically about my life into a career. Now I do uh, this professionally. I say that with an asterisk because obviously I'm still not, I'm, I'm not a lawyer, but at the same time, I, I, I think you're a professional whenever you pay taxes on something. <laughs> uh, and let me tell you, I pay taxes on this. So, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, maybe, uh, you know, it, th there's something to that there. But I, there's still trials and tribulations that, you know, unfortunately, we don't have time to discuss. But just just for the, for the listeners, I've given a lot of my time into this. Not it, it, it's not been uh, and it, it's it's come with a lot of recognition, right? Like a lot of people. Uh, will message me online and say, oh my God, I'm so proud of the work that you do. You're an inspiration to me. And, you know, I've gotten chances to meet, you know, very important people. I've been on TV, I've been on radio. Now I'm on your podcast. Um, but This is easily the low point of anyone's <laughs> career, but I appreciate that. I've been on Breitbart, so there's, you know, even lower. So, uh, no, I'm just joking. But nevertheless, <laughs> I think um, what, what people need to understand here, right, is that uh, I do what I do because I'm the oldest of three brothers and growing up it was on me right to like yeah. like teach my younger brothers the way of the force and you know and essentially there's a lot of Yoda path. there's a lot of Yoda going on here and I appreciate that <laughs> yeah I mean you know it, it, I'm just trying to make it relatable because you know there's so many like real life aspects that kind of get glossed over and because this is an immigration conversation that I'm yeah. trying very hard to make it relatable you know as, as an older brother you're supposed to kind of like be this model role model for your, for your younger brothers and essentially teach them the you know in high school you know like this is how you want to go to college great like let me tell you what worked for me or what didn't work for me and right um that was on me but like on a different scale it's like great like you you're gonna go to college great yeah is that what you want to do great also teach your brothers how you, they're gonna go to college while undocumented right you need to teach them that and right. i'm like what <laughs> like who's gonna teach me it's like i don't know <laughs> your dad and i are too busy and i'm impersonating my mother here it's like your dad and I are too busy working, putting food on the table, so you have to figure it out. So I'm like, oh my god. As an as an oldest, as an older of two, but oldest, you know, you definitely feel that pressure, and for yeah. sure, that is universal. I think any even just as two oldest children, I think we can commiserate about the 
I, I think that is beyond, you know, uh, immigrant families or whatever. I, I, you, you just tend to shoulder a little bit more of the burden. They take you a little more seriously, certainly more than, than my younger brother ever was taken seriously. Oh, absolutely. I, I'm like, I remember asking my parents for a cell phone. It's like, you don't need a cell phone. You're, you're, you're still a child. And then, you know, it wasn't like I was like a freshman in college. It's like, okay, great. Like, you can have a cell phone now. You're going to go to college. You, you know. Congratulations on making it to college. And like my brother is like a freshman in high school. He's like, I want a cell phone. He's like, okay, whatever you want. Like, I'm like, what the hell is going on here? Like, are you crazy? Like, do you not see, you know, what, what just happened here? So, but that's the thing, right? Like I grew up without a mentor or someone who was yeah. also in the same position. So I was left to my own, you know, on my own to kind of figure this out, which is why, you know, a lot of people ask me, it's like, well, why do you do digital advocacy? Why are you out there protesting in the streets with a bullhorn and organizing and knocking on doors? I am a huge introvert. Like the idea <laughs> of doing that terrifies me and exhausts me, which is right. why, you know, I, I use my story. I use my voice uh, and, uh, and I'll do as much as I possibly can, you know, to mobilize people. But if you give me a computer, a Wi-Fi connection, I will be way more useful to you and way more comfortable doing this than anything else. And that has kind of paid off, right? Um, sure. Um, um, so for me, ultimately, you know, it, it's led us to this point, right? And I, I know that we're, we're going back and forth in the timeline here, but we have gotten here... 15 years later since I started, right? This has been over a decade that we've been doing this. And just to kind of bring it back to current events, now we have a Supreme Court decision, right, behind us under our, uh, under, uh, on, our, on our shelf of like victories and awards and recognitions. Because let, let's just not even pretend like, you know, we haven't played this game once and too, one too many times where people are like, well, we love the dreamers. We got to stay here. That we gotta fix their status. We gotta pass legislation. I mean, that's know, what Donald Trump says that he loves Absolutely. the dreamers, and they gotta stay. So if that's his position, and yeah. his and he's still allowed to do the you know hold the the policy proposals that he wants, I, I think that we obviously need a higher bar for the people who yeah. you know are gonna actually produce results. If yeah, that's gonna Absolutely. Be. So so now we have all this, all, you know, all these victories and all this, uh, you know, all all these recognition, all these nice tweets and words from people who like continue to love us, you know, and that's great, you know. I, I'm not discounting that, though, you know, especially from like, I'm, and I'm referring to elected officials here, because ultimately the and I think that this was essentially what Donald Trump was hoping was going to happen, that like he was going to rescind the DACA program. Oh, sure, yeah. In 2017, continue to demonize immigrants, continue to essentially what he hoped or Stephen Miller hoped was that they were going to hope to change the public narrative to favor them instead of the immigrants. And it spectacularly blew up in their face. You know, we saw those poll numbers earlier this week from the amount of Republicans from all sides of the spectrum, conservatives, you know, um, people of faith who consider themselves Republican, Republican voters who also support the dreamers, the DACA program, and want this to be resolved. Yeah. And after winning at the Supreme Court and the court essentially saying, hey, Donald Trump, you kind of violated the law by like, you know, for, for someone who hates lawlessness, you violated the law. So I'm sorry, the program needs to stand. This dude, instead of taking the L, being <laughs> the president of the United States and walking away, right? Like that's, that's all he has to do. He just has to walk away. They're like, oh, right. Like, you, you know, hey, Texas, we tried this. Sorry, we lost, etc. Let's just move on and try to win the election again, so we can appoint more, you know, Republican 
conservative justices. No, he's he's like doubling down on like the worst thing, like the American public, the Supreme Court, Congress, Republicans, Democrats, everybody's in this together. It's like, no, man, like we should probably help these kids. Like we want them here. And he's like, no, lawlessness. I care for them, but they need to be, they need to, they need to follow the law and we need to get rid of this lawlessness. And in the same breath, he's like not following the law himself. Like, well, you know, you know, you know that law and order only applies to the everyone, everyone except the people in my inner circle. I mean, that's, you know, why would you ever want the law to apply to the people that you yeah, care about? You know, I mean, I'm just, I'm just <laughs> flabbergasted. It, it, and, I, and, and, and I did this bit on an interview earlier where I basically said, you know, the amount of irony and hypocrisy that's woven into this whole saga regarding DACA, the DACA program and Dreamers, it cannot be lost on anyone. I mean, uh, here is a president who basically uses immigrants as a punching bag every time he has a bad day. This yeah. week, he lost the Supreme Court on uh, a very big LGBTQ uh, case. He lost his uh, case where the Supreme Court was basically saying, hey, I know you have a complaint about the California Values Act, which is basically a, a, a bill and a, and a law now, a state law that essentially converts California to sanctuary state. Uh, the Supreme Court rejected to hear that case. And now he lost on DACA. So the natural thing, of course, that he's going to do is turn around and say, you know what, I'm going to continue to use immigrants as a punching bag. Right. And he can't help himself. He really cannot help himself. And only time will tell what, what will happen. Uh, all I have to say to Donald Trump and you know his followers, uh, hopefully they don't listen to this program. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. But if you're listening and you support this president and or if you work in the White House, we are not going to let this go either. Like we've been do, I've been doing this for 15 years with without DACA in the beginning. Now I have DACA and I'm not tired of doing this because it is the right and moral thing to do. And all we're asking here is for you to let us continue to pay our taxes, go to work, drive back home with our driver's license and go to bed at night in peace without having to worry about the potential of someone coming into our house and ripping us away. And in my case, sending me back to a country which Donald Trump also hates. That's <laughs> called Venezuela. You mentioned earlier in your answer, DAPA, and you mentioned how that, that program didn't pass. And I think about, you talked about, for example, the burden of being the older brother or the oldest brother and that, that weighs heavily on my mind. And I think about it, especially in the context of, you know, generationally, you, you can't be DACA unless you were brought here by parents who, because DAPA never happened, don't have those same protections. I just think about it in terms of my family. You know, my, my parents, my wife's parents, everyone's getting older. It's hard to take care of them. My, my, my son is five months old, almost. It's hard to take care of him. My life right now is the least complicated it's ever going to be moving forward. And as everything in our lives gets older and gets more complicated, it just gets a little bit harder. And I imagine that over the last 10, 15 years that you've been working in immigration, that's gotten harder for you too. And you've seen everything in your life get a little bit more complicated, even as you've been navigating this very narrow path that's been set for you. So let me ask you, in terms of that bigger question, that family question, you know, this, home is here is fine to say, but... It's, it's harder. And can we acknowledge a little bit of the difficulty that we're all facing trying to manage, you know, juggle all these things at once? And I imagine that's even harder for you. Yeah. It's funny that you bring this up. Um, I think 
this is one of the very few aspects that I've been asked about my life. Um, so I appreciate you for, for coming up with that question. But I, um, it's also funny to me because I, I was reading an email earlier this morning about from a colleague, right? Where she, she is the same age that, that, that I am. Uh, she's also 31 and she's been in this fight also just as long as I have. And in her email, she basically reflected back about, you know, and she puts this in quotation time, right? Like the amount of time that it has taken yeah. to get to this point and how her parents have aged, she's aged. And, you know, how much more time can we as advocates continue to essentially put forth in here? And I think, yeah, you know, all the questions and all the all the references that you just brought up to, you know, they're 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 extremely valid. I don't know how my parents are going to retire. I don't know who's going to, um, you know, uh, help me take care of them. Um, and I also don't know, you know, if this, this is, if this program goes away, you know, how right. we're going to make it in in the United States without a job or a living wage. And things are certainly getting, you know, harder as the time goes by. And you know, I say this now. And this is probably the Yoda part of me speaking, but like, you know, when it comes down to time, living a quote unquote normal life. And I say that in quotes mainly because, you know, when this is over, if, if if it's over, whenever uh, Congress gets to it or the next administration or whoever, right. I've always wondered how long it's going to take me personally to unload the amount of stress and yeah. trauma that I've accumulated so that then I can essentially be coherent enough, right? Um, to then turn around and be like, hey, dad, do you need help with your business? Let me help you out. Or hey, mom, like, you want to retire from your job? Let's figure it out. Because all of that has been, you know, you, it's almost like you have to live your life on two tracks. Like the things that you have to do as a normal person that just lives their life in in society and in your community. And then on top of that, how you're going to even do those things, worrying about everything else that could potentially go wrong on the immigration side of things. So you're right. I, I, I wish I had a decent answer for this. I think part of me has unconsciously put that on hold for as long as I possibly can. And the longer we take to resolve this issue, the harder it becomes to put a pause on it. It just basically uh, continues to weigh on me until something has to give and I need to start figuring out, not just for myself, of course, but also, you know, uh, for my parents and, and, and for, for the family aspect of things because uh, there, there, there's just never going to be an easy answer or a perfect time. I think I, I speak for, 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 for people who feel the same way about their own personal lives uh, and specifically in this moment in time of uncertainty under COVID and this precedent and this administration, right. but but yeah, uh, it's 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 not going to be an easy one. I, I didn't ask it to to be a difficult question, but I I understood that it is. It's just an intimate question. Nobody nobody brought their kids here knowing that the DACA program was going to be waiting there for them. Nobody brought their kids here for a worse life. Nobody brought their you know and and yet. It's impossible for you with all this advocacy behind you, all this experience under your belt, not to give a damn because these are, these are the people that matter the most in your life. I, you mentioned the, you know, COVID, the, the quarantine, self-isolation, and you also mentioned mental health and physical health and all this other stuff. 
We've seen the graphs where you know, the United States is doing exceptionally poorly on just about every metric. Uh, I saw one today about places, counties and states that voted for Trump versus Clinton in 2016 are, are, are on the incline versus the decline for COVID cases. So it's only going to get worse in the places that for many of these uh, people, especially many immigrants, especially undocumented people, it's going to be the hardest for them to seek out help in healthcare, social services, et cetera, that they might desperately need. So I want to ask you, not in a big picture policy way, even though I know that's your background and your education, but just in terms of personal, I think about the burden, the kind of the high simmer of stress of quarantine. And to put that on top of an already boiling pot for you of the stress that you're talking about with the work that you're doing. I think that's a lot to ask. Has, has, has there been anything in this moment, you know, obviously this victory, if, if this were any, if this were gay marriage, if this were any other victory moment, people would be celebrating yeah. in the streets. I think about, I think about the, um, after, you know, Obergefell, for example, you, you had people everywhere who were just, you know, just exploding with joy. And of course, in the aftermath of George Floyd, people are marching for other reasons right now. And, and, and we shouldn't uh, take that away. But I, I think about that even, even the valve of stress of releasing that and celebrating has been taken away from you because of the moment that we're in, yeah. because you're not in a, in a, in a ticker tape parade in Washington or, or somewhere else celebrate, or, you know, you said, you said, you know, Florida, wherever, wherever you're, you're not. And I wish I could give that to you because I feel like you've probably earned it. <laughs> there's just so much, there's just so much happening. Um, and I'm, I'm struggling to answer this question on be, not because it's hard, but rather because I want to make sure I don't uh, kind of spread like, you know, the, the poor advice of my work-life balance <laughs> because it does not exist. <laughs> I really, and I, you know, probably people just just do what I do, and and I have no idea. But um, I think one of the hardest things for me um, right now is essentially kind of maintaining a work life balance. Um, we hear that all the time from people who are caught up in their work or whatever. But for me, I, it's it's blending hard. It's, it's becoming like the line is drawing color. It's becoming blurrier and blurrier and blurrier. And the reason why is because of everything this administration has done to essentially attack immigrants and pass draconian immigration policy. So if it was personal before, it's becoming even more personal now. And the fact that we now have to right. stay in quarantine is just kind of like, well, you know what? I'm just going to work all day. Like, I'm just going to eat at my desk. I'm just going to watch TV at my desk. And I'm also going to just do this. Yeah. And I'm going to monitor the tweets, whatever. And there, I wouldn't be lying to you if I told you that I took some pleasure in that, mainly because it keeps me inside, right. safe from the virus. But at the same time, uh, you know, it, it's also being, I'm, I'm also being cognizant of the fact that, like, I'm staring at a screen for like 12 hours a day and then I go to bed and then I do it all over again. Like there is, there's definitely a limit. I miss going outside. Uh, so I don't think the celebratory part of this, you know, being in front of the court or whatever, 
uh, you know, uh, yeah. Well, it's not like this white house was going to, you know, put out colors or something in front. Like, yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Like, you know, I miss it. You know, I, I I would, I I, I would be lying if I said so otherwise, but I'm also, you know, trying to bargain with myself the idea that like, you know, we did everything that we could to win and we won in the most masterful way that we possibly could given the circumstances and given this administration. So I have just kind of proceeded myself to essentially understand that while there is, there will be eventually one day uh, a huge party when all this is over and DACA has been codified into law or whatever, uh, the time will come and that time may not be now. So we need to continue to ensure that we get ready for round two, because unfortunately that's what this president is asking for. You were mentioning your family coming from Venezuela. And I think about, again, just news from this week. We saw the John Bolton book, for example, one of the many... I'm constantly shocked and never surprised when I hear about some of the evils that come out of uh, the the president's mouth. But he says that Trump, when he was talking about, about Venezuela, said it would be cool to invade and that it's it's probably it, sh- it should be a part of the United States anyway, which on the one hand has got to feel great because he's basically saying you're already a U.S. citizen, uh, but but on the other hand, just just finding out and and maybe you maybe you had the 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 benefit of missing this news item and I'm saying it to you now and I'm just depressing you even worse, but like I just I just think about the the callousness and the casual ignorance that he brings to almost every issue, but especially when he's talking about a place that would not benefit from a U.S. invasion, I don't think, um, in, in, in a short or long term. Um, just the casual evil that is surrounding this this debate. Because and the larger question, I guess, is we've seen from Stephen Miller and Steve Bannon and, um, the, you know, the, the president has surrounded himself with people current and previous to this administration who have a particularly dim view of you, you talked about how he's going to you know beat this drum again they really believe that this is an issue that they can win on now now in 2018 after seeing a lot of terrible things at the border and you know lots of kids and you know concentration camps essentially there there was a, a reckoning that maybe we saw at the polls and maybe that'll presage what's happening in this coming cycle. But people's memories are so short, even when the evil is right there in front of them. And I just wonder about whether you've become numb to it, whether you are constantly offended by it, or like, what is the feeling? Because I guess with so many of this, I'm asking you about how it feels because, because I know it sucks, but I also know that you're getting up every morning and doing a job. And as you say, you you find a lot of comfort in that. But I think about just the the constant barrage of punches to the chin that you're taking, and I I don't think that's. I I don't know how that feels. Yeah, and it would be wrong for me to assume that I did. Yeah. Well, and I and I think that this was why I was struggling, you know, to answer your previous question about like mental health and 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 you know the isolation and the 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 the, the, the the, the six feet apart rule that it has been in, in place in terms of, uh, you know, social distancing by the CDC to combat the virus. But when I think about, you know, 
what you just said and how it how I feel during these moments. Um, it's hard to put into words, mainly because I have done this for so long and I have seen so many wins and so many losses and so many things come and go that, yeah, I, I have to admit, I am kind of numb to it. Um, and, 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 and I say that mainly in an immigration sense. There's some very abhorrent things that this administration you know, oh, for sure, continues yeah. to do on a regular basis that I'm, it's just sickening altogether. But when it comes to immigration policy, right, all I can say and think and do, and I'm like, this will pass, and I'm working towards it to stop being it this horrific. And I think that that comes out of two senses. One, you know, your sheer experience of doing this work for so long. And two, the idea that what these people want to do is exhaust us. Yes. They want to tire us down. They want to make sure that we stop doing it. And they're just looking for the worst of the worst that they can do. That That is, by the way, by the way, if people think that's an exaggeration, that is explicitly the strategy of Miller and others who want to make things so vile for immigrants in this country that people stop coming. Exactly. And, and I think about that, by the way, and, and I don't often talk about my own story. You know, my family, Italian immigrants, I'm the second generation born here. So my grandfather was an illegal immigrant from Italy. And the fact that they've talked about, you know, looking back and finding out status, I, I try to tell the, the Trump voting members of my family, do you really think you're safe? Yeah. <laughs> it's like white, Italian, Italian people have been white in this country for like maybe less than 100 years. Like we barely qualify for most of the privileges. Now that doesn't mean to say that, that I, I just... I am nowhere near the knife's edge as you are. And even I feel some of the anxiety. And that's because I'm an anxious person. But I feel some of that anxiety of, of this could go really poorly yeah. if, you know, guys like Miller and, and, and people who make up a, a decent chunk of the population, 35, maybe 40% yeah. of the U.S. population, at least the ones who vote, they really believe this. Absolutely. And I think that that's the scary part. And what it gets down to ultimately is, is that, you know, uh, regardless of what the president believes or his Republican colleagues in Florida and beyond that, you know, somehow there's millions of illegal voters out there. Like, I can't vote. Like, I'm not an eligible voter because I'm not a U.S. citizen, period. And I think, like, as a, as a, as a secondary punchline in here is that I'm not even qualified to vote in my own home country of Venezuela because I left before I was eligible to, to register. So I'm not even registered there. No man's land. <laughs> so the yeah. only election I've ever voted on was when I ran for student government in college and I voted for myself. That's it. <laughs> but <laughs> Well, I think that's a pretty good, you know, yeah, that's, I mean, that's a pretty good, uh, at least a, as a good line. Yeah. I mean, well, <laughs> thank, thank God I did because I only won that election by two votes. Me and my roommate. That's voted really for funny. <laughs> that's really, see, that's good. But that's the kind of thing, I mean, first of all, I love the, the sprinklings of how nerdy we're getting here. Yeah. Let me ask you about the other side of the Overton window. Let me ask you about this, because we've been talking so much about the negative, about how this is, you know, uh, a, uh, an animating issue for Republicans. But for, for Democrats, for Democratic legislators, for Democratic voters in this Democratic primary, this is also an exciting issue right now. It's not just you who's pent up and not able to celebrate, but, but millions of people who have been excited about this, who are with you, 
because it's not just you know the, the the people who are directly affected by this. There are lots of people. So let's talk about the other side. What is the best you've seen from proposals up and down the ballot, whether it's you know the presumptive Democratic nominee, Joe Biden, former vice president, who obviously worked on DACA issues, couldn't get it down the finish line in the Senate, but worked on that in a legislative way with his former colleagues in the Senate, whether we talk about people at the state level, what are you seeing that's positive? Because you mentioned this has been happening in your in your experience since the Bush administration. We've had some different ideas since then. So what are you excited about in the future? And what are you excited about be, in this cycle and beyond about things that even beyond DACA and beyond some of the some things that affect immigrants, but also affect the things that you and your family care about and animate you and excite you moving forward. We continue to reference 2020 as like this giant dumpster fire because it's just... Yeah, that's reasonable. Yeah, like I just feel like every time I go to the the office, it's like, oh my God, like we have to respond to this. You see what the president says? I'm like, so what? Like next week it will be something else. It'll be like murder hornets or an earthquake or a hurricane season or whatever the case may be. Like, you know, 2020 has not stopped bringing surprises on all of us. And... I, gotta... I was just excited that you got to go to the office. I mean, that <laughs> even that sounds like a luxury that I, I can't know. even possibly fathom. I know. I mean, the world has changed so radically, but I think at the same time, there has been this awakening, right? Like, like people are finally, to some degree or another, coming out of their comfort zone and saying, this is not okay. Like, right. I live in a country that doesn't have enough tests yet on TV, it continues to be the same line. Like we're the number one best country in the world, but we don't have enough tests or, you know, we don't have enough ventilators or what do you mean that people are still discriminated based on sexual orientation? What do you mean that the most popular group of immigrants continue to face deportation? Like, I just feel like people are finally like cracking and it took us to come down to the worst of like it literally took us to get get this man into the into the into the white house right and be the president of the united states and be like this is how horrific the united states can be and now you know essentially people are like you know what we're not going to give you an inch right and yeah. their their strategy now and i don't know how many people have have actually taken a look uh you know at at everything that has been happening over the past couple of weeks but also over the past couple of hours like over the past couple of weeks, we've seen what has happened in states like Georgia and border suppress and, and voter suppression. We've seen the Republicans saying that voting by mail, right, something you know that's safe and secure and that has been going on for forever, is no longer safe. Even though that we pay bills by the mail, we ship you know gifts by the mail, we, we you know there's check money, social security cards, you know all you name it that goes through the mail. But one ballot, no, that that is somehow less safe than anything else that goes through the mail. And at the same time, you know, like, it's just bewildering to me that, you know, people continue to support this man against their own best interests. And what is, you know, I guess to to, to fully answer your question, what excites me is the fact that people are finally waking up and realizing the amount of injustice and issues, socially, economically, that are spread all over this country in, 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 in a variety of different communities and a, a variety of different social classes, races, backgrounds, uh, you, you name it. And I think 
well, who knows how long this is going to last for, right? You know, and, you know, I, I, I think that this is the cynical, you know, side of me. It's like, does this translate into votes at the end? Like, is pe- are people going to actually turn out to vote in November? Well, now you really have been you in know? D.C. too long. Exactly. Now, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So to me, and just like, I have no idea. Like, we can't predict the future and 2020 will, even if we could, 2020 will prevent us from even predicting the future at this point. But... I think at the at the end of the day, right? Like what excites me the most is that we have an opportunity, right, to essentially change courses here. I know that many people yeah. out there may not think that Joe Biden is the perfect candidate. You know, people have their reservations and that's perfectly okay. But I tell you what's not okay, what's been happening for the last three and a half years. We have a chance of essentially electing the alternative and say, look, we're not going back there and by the way we took notes the past three and a half years and we learned (laughs) all the horrific things that this country has done and perpetuated for this many years and we're going to share those notes with you and we're going to hold you accountable to them because the only way that you got here and i think that that's the power of our democracy that people need to essentially understand that the only reason and the only way that joe biden is going to get into that white house is with us with our support and the only way that he's going to do the things that we want him to do is if we hold them accountable and make the journey yeah. as uncomfortable. This idea that somehow, you know, the president or certain members of Congress are without that, that you know, that they're somehow part of this exclusive club that you can criticize them is be- bizarre and bewildering. You know, I thank God for the free press and I thank God that people essentially are asking tough questions because that's what they're elected to do. They're public servants. They serve you and they're supposed to serve their communities that they represent. So if people are out there feeling, you know, wondering why, you know, they're attacking one person or another. It's because we're still trying to figure this out. We don't have the perfect answers, neither do they. And we're going to have to figure it out together. I'm glad that you still have some hope because when you were talking earlier, I'll just say this. I'll just because I know we, I, I want to I wrap up and I did want to ask one silly question before we do, which is I hope that you get to put down your sword and live your life because I think you deserve that. And I think this issue should not be, it shouldn't take anything from you. It shouldn't have taken anything from you. But the fact yeah. that, that you've given so much of it willingly speaks a lot to your character. And I hope that you get to put down that sword and stop fighting for something that should have been yours already. You deserve to live your life and you deserve to live it here. And I think that's, if you choose to. By the way, you might not want to. We've got very bad COVID rates here. I don't know. <laughs> if you could possibly figure out a European or Asian country, you might be better off. Um, let me ask a sillier question, which is uh, you and I know each other through uh, through a game group for Animal Crossing. So I want to ask you, you have not been able to play a lot of Animal Crossing lately. You have yeah. you have lamented in this in this conversation uh, that, that you that you haven't. So what is the thing that you are looking forward to doing now that you've now that you've got this big victory before you put down your sword? In the in the bigger sense, what is this? Yeah. What is the small thing that you're going to do for yourself? Is it? Is, and it may not be in your Animal Crossing island, but what is the small way that yeah. you're going to celebrate uh, to try to at least take a little bit of a victory lap after the week you've had? Thank you for mentioning that. Uh, yes, you, you're right. We know each other through mutual friends in an Animal Crossing uh, game group, which has been uh, honestly extremely cathartic through everything that we've been through. Uh, Animal Crossing is huge and it's popular. Uh, and I can see why this is my first outing into this game. So I definitely give it an A++. But realistically speaking, the first thing I'm going to do, and this cannot 
happen soon enough is that in a couple of weeks, I will safely and carefully, being mindful of the CDC guidelines, go to Yosemite National Park, Death Valley, and Joshua Tree National Park. And then map out the next month and chunk until the election comes Good for you. I feel like those, given the fact that I'm, you know, currently residing in California for the time being, uh, dealing with some family matters, um, I will take that time to essentially explore, go outside, hopefully uh, see some wildlife and, you know, hopefully they stay away from me and I'll stay away from them. <laughs> but nevertheless, you know, um, this is what I'm trying to get to, to make sure that I see the sites, I take in some nature and some sun before returning back to, uh, you know, uh, the same neighborhood that Big Orange occupies uh, out in Washington, D.C. But um, that's that's essentially it. Uh, I think Animal Crossing will come back into my life uh, slowly. I'm not even going to pretend like it's not. I just need to do this first, right, to, like, recoup after, like, the past four months of just, you know, doing this Supreme Court exercise over and over again, and then we can get back into business. But in the meantime, take some time outside, relax, uh, you know, obviously I'm incurring some risks, but uh, I just, I really need to do this to, to kind of heal myself before we dive in and be, be you know, ahead of the election. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. I'm genuinely glad that you're getting to do those. That, 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 that brings me a lot of joy because those are some beautiful places and they're yours. That's the best part yeah. is that this, this, yeah. this great, idea, one of the best public policy decisions this government's ever done, setting aside land for the people who live here, it's yours. And that's, yeah. and I only hope that that, um, is something that you continue to enjoy. Um, because it is, it is truly beautiful. And you picked some, some just real stunners And uh, well, let me, let me just say Juan, uh, Juan Escalante, who's a digital campaign manager at forward us one, I really appreciate the time today, the conversation, and the honesty. Thank you so much for, for joining me at the table. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. It was fun.